Thaddeus Ellenberg presents Casual Friday Written and read by Thaddeus Ellenberg Christmas Customs and Curious Findings Reeling amidst the plethora of holiday hoopla, ribbons and bows and grandma's whorehound candy addiction, which resulted in a painful yet hilarious intervention, I can't help but wonder how this whole Christmas thing got started. Where did all these traditions come from? How early did they date back? And did the originators really intend for this much tinsel and careless use of butterfat? Not only did I find the answers to be an emphatic yes, I discovered a whole lot more. I share with you my findings so that together we may educate the Santa-loving, wreath-hanging, sweater-wearing, eggnog-sipping, ham-sucking, re-gifting, pill-popping, family-avoiding, capless fat-cat, ho-ho-hoing, jolly sons of bitches this side of the broken gingerbread house. Firstly, and arguably foremost, there is the cherished, water-guzzling symbol of the holiday season, the beloved Christmas tree. Adored by children for their brilliant and sometimes twinkling lights, especially the ones that were marked solid when you pulled them from the sale rack of the dollar store, and for some reason were flabbergasted when they began blinking at a seizure-inducing rate. Then again, that's what you get for blowing your rent on that Black Friday robot vacuum because you're too lazy to do the half-assed job yourself. They're dazzling, fragile, and highly collectible ornaments that simply must be hung from a lightweight, top-heavy stool placed unevenly amid the living room's thick carpet. Don't dick around with my Radcos. This isn't Hallmark shit. And their endless networks of gift-bearing limbs, which, before making your own money, seemed oh so much more exciting. The Christmas tree has become the pivotal image of our modern-day Yuletide. But would you believe there was once a time when Christmas was celebrated with just as much mirth and cheer without these light-clad needle droppers? Oh yeah, you millennials will find this one interesting. The year was 1973, and nobody had even heard of a Christmas tree. Nixon was president, and Serpico was the feel-good comedy of the holiday season. Cities came in two flavors, night and fall. People gave up everything to follow their dreams, and everyone was making it happen, even the ones that didn't even try. Beige was hot, and covering your neck with layers of itchy fabric was more in than ever. Taxis drove through steam rising from manhole covers as mandated by the New York City Film Commission, and folks were digging this new sensation called anorexia. It was romantic AF. Also, oil was awesome, and everybody wanted it. It was a simpler time, a time when hair below the neck was not only acceptable, but in most cases desired. And nobody minded the occasional stray curly cue stuck to their tongue, even though the multiple attempts to retrieve it really took both parties out of the moment. 
and way down in Ward County, North Carolina, soon-to-be local hero Luther Huffstedler was an eager and good-humored armpit sniffer for Covert's new ultra-dry burnt plastic scented deodorant, a job that he willingly commuted to and from 90 minutes each way, which he justified and in some cases defended at parties by calling his time. Huffstedler loved Christmas, but always felt it was lacking a certain indistinguishable icon, a poor tendency to drink, pine sole, with a palette for a wide range of wood cleaners. Really, anything vintage. Actually, 68 was a good year for polishers. Luther spent his Christmases in the cleaning supplies aisle of the AMP, evening out the bottles. Occasionally, though, he would stop off at one of Ward County's top-rated watering holes, the Claptrap, whose motto was, and still remains, you'll get it eventually. And on a star-filled Christmas Eve in 1973, after throwing back a 20-ounce bottle of original scent, Luther sashayed through the door singing a merry little tune, and with his arm wrapped around a smoking six-foot Fraser fur, decked out tipped a trunk and flashy dangly earrings, and wearing a single fishnet stocking. A real double effer, fine and full. And a total nine on the lumberjack stud scale of sexy, made famous in the popular men's sporting magazine Try It Once Monthly. Luther introduced the young and shapely fur as his wife and rejoiced over their recent engagement. Which was pretty ballsy because this was like two years before southern state legislators passed the law allowing humans and trees to wed. Way before Shana McDonnan, model and heiress to the Slippery Cob Corporation, the global leader in the creamed corn on a cob market, thrust herself into pop culture with her LA-based reality show Shane and Cypress which for seven years followed the free buffing, formerly free balling, but you didn't hear that from me, debutante. In addition to her widely publicized marriage to a prominent cypress tree from the reservoir. She liked the beach, he liked the hills. They were a match that shined brightly with reality gold. One mustn't forget the memorable and heartwarming episode where Shane, Cypress, and their son Seedling, a name his parents liked but knew he'd grow out of, take a day trip to Six Flags, and Cypress loses his shit at the log flume. And little do fans know that this beloved pair's blissful union is deeply rooted in Christmas lore. That said, returning to the stage, our hero, Luther Huffstedler, replenished of fluids and with a stagehand's phone number. Now some scholars would have you believe that Huffstedler was escorting a balsam fir instead of a Fraser fir on that monumental eve. Of course, we now know this claim to be false. The truth of the tree's variety comes less from the fact that Fraser firs grow in abundance in southeastern states, and more from the fact that Huffstedler spoke so openly about his turnoffs, which included, but were not limited to, long needles and noticeable resin. That joke goes out to ranger in training Kevin Torres of Big Meadow State Park, who wrote me the kindest email the other day asking for a solid dig at balsams. Congratulations, Kevin, on your new position, and good luck at next year's Big Meadow State Park Service Uniform Fashion Show. In the years following, Huffstedler's sappy love affair would spawn a festive tradition unlike any other. Incidentally, Christmas wreaths are nothing more than failed tree contraceptives with a bow. 
Additionally, a number of miscellaneous holiday customs and associations have plagued my curiosity for years. One, in particular, is the Dewey's offering of fruitcake in its origins. Invented by a Norwegian sailor as a self-disposing boat anchor, these bricks of discarded fruit bits were originally made of plankton and fish parts. It wasn't until the resourceful sailor used an alternative made from jellies and nuts in an effort to dispose of his wife's unsuccessful stomach-churning attempts at preserves did the modern-day incarnation of the fruitcake come into existence. Today, though, they serve as a lasting, thoughtless, freezer-burnt slice of Americana at its driest. Mistletoe has long been associated with Western Christmas as a decoration, much like holly and brown mustard, under which lovers or distant cousins are expected to kiss. The reasons behind this are simple and have been linked to fertility, vitality, and matters of conserving chapstick. The delectably minty candy cane found early popularity in rural Germany and has since been a favorite of high-spirited traditional merrymakers that find joy in handing out something sweet, but not the good stuff. Somewhere in the rear third of every minivan sold from 1980 to 1999, you'll find one of these, half unwrapped and hiding under a seat next to a french fry. This mixed message of oral hygiene was originally thought to resemble a shepherd's staff, but was more recently proven by modern-day Christorians to instead be that of a shepherd's crook, an oversight that has led to the impalement and public burning of over 200 high-ranking church officials after denouncing these contemporary teachings. Likewise, the thick and creamy concoction that is eggnog has long been associated with the holiday season, and in many cases is mixed with spirits to fuel a full-on verbal attack against your out-of-town relatives after they take excessive liberties with that whole make-yourselves-at-home thing people always say, but hope either social convention or, at the very least, shame, curbs your guests' natural tendencies. Like your uncle's very boisterous and very racist comments in the checkout lane of one of those warehouse club stores that if you squint resembles a cattle auction. With colonial roots, the development of this rich and sub-rancid holiday treat comes to us courtesy of British torture practices introduced during the Revolutionary War which for you young listeners out there was a period of American history when Great Britain and its 13 North American colonies got together to pose for late 20th century oil paintings with the goal of one day making it onto the walls of an eastern seaborne pub and should things take off, fingers crossed, appear washed out in a short subject documentary circa 1996 in the desolate confines of a town museum looping over and over on a television with blown speakers and the volume set to max. In 1778, in an effort to expose rebel soldiers within the colonies, a Maryland patriot was mocked and paraded in the city streets before being forced to consume a single glass of hot, recently curdled milk with raw eggs, sour ale, and a sugar substitute. Within days, the Patriots succumbed to the festive drink and died of chubbiness. The custom of sending out Christmas cards originated quite organically among families that have never heard of the phrase empty nest and newlyweds that just can't fucking stop. 
Ginger snaps and gingerbread houses first came onto the scene in Germany in the 1800s after being imagined within the pages of the iconic fairy tale Hansel and Gretel, written by Matt Damon and the Joker, the one that dies at the end. Public reception was mixed, and most critics said visually it's amazing, but mm, no thank you. Though this confectionery construction didn't gain notoriety in the States until it was introduced by German tourists with an American sunburn visiting the Statue of Liberty. Mincemeat Pies, also known as Zesty Upchuck, comes to us care of the United Kingdom. Instead of cookies for Santa, here, children leave these Christmas pies of dried fruit, holiday spices, and the fatty remains of Brexit supporters that were having second thoughts. Comparably, figgy pudding is another holiday dessert from across the pond, where they continue to mistake dried fruit for a dessert. Made of raisins and sometimes plums with the occasional fig, this cake took the second spot in the Food Network's Top 5 Worst Foods Excessively Demanded in a Christmas Song. The top award, of course, going to any number more than one Turkish delight. From that classic ditty, Home for the Multicultural Holidays. A song recently featured in this last season of Sing and Sizzle, the only singing-slash-cooking contest show in the country. All right, I'll be singing T-Swift's Dear John while cooking kebab skewers with broken artichoke hearts. The Christmas Yule Log, although known by most as a sacred tree cut down and used to make the most special of firewood during the holiday season, the original Yule Logs were made of children's toys moments after they were distributed. Initially, they would use the toy belonging to the youngest. Later, parents decided to give the youngest child a sporting chance by allowing names to be drawn from a hat, like a turf, or the Wellington, or something else nobody wears anymore. In fact, the hat was a big ruse, as families would find and burn every toy in the house by the end of the night. Like some fucked up Eli Roth Christmas movie for kids. There's also the lost art of only using cash to buy gifts, one of those lesser-known customs from a bygone era your grandparents yearn for, with every item they don't recycle, or every gay marriage they congratulate while wincing. Sadly, an attempt to relive this holiday oldie may very well result in the following scene, set in the heavily potpourri-scented living room of a Florida residence. Come in, voice that haunts this end-table speaker my children got for me last year. The one that doesn't do anything except pulsate a bright light every time I say a specific name, which I can't remember. I have this $50 bill that I've been saving all year and hiding in the freezer along with my jewelry and nice serving flatware. Have you seen this? They follow you home and hit you over the head and leave you for dead while they abscond with your good gravy ladle. I wish to purchase an untold number of toilet wand refills for my grandson. He's 10 and just invented a program for the phones with the car service. He lives on the West Coast with five other people in a two-bedroom apartment, and they pay $7,000 a month. We are so proud of him. I talk about him to everyone I've ever interacted with, especially the ones that are clearly trying to walk away. But I keep talking and never give them a good window. Once a year, I send my grandson a cellular letter that's missing essential parts of speech, like, Next Joy Want which I follow with a string of characters that look like they're from the Zodiac Killer Cypher. 
Adjacent to a cash-only Christmas is the classic pre-war throwback to making your gifts, an arts and crafts approach to the holidays which has sadly been passed over in today's one-click-away society. This custom forces the giver to put more thought and effort into a gift, strength and energy that had previously been pledged to putting on clothes for that day. Something made with love is as useless as a 12-pack of rechargeable C batteries. These old and antiquated practices both aid in ensuring a financially responsible holiday season, as well as restoring the Christmas spirit to the hearts of everyone. The Christmas spirit, a popular notion which originated naturally within golf communities as the consolation Christmas for poor people. And lastly, there is the jolly, rosy-cheeked, and surely diabetic gift-giver Santa Claus. The origins of this rotund outlaw have been associated with a number of characters from across the globe, including the Greek bishop St. Nicholas, the Dutch Sinterklaas, and even the lesser-known generous stranger man in remote parts of Madagascar who sneaks into the bedrooms of children and butters the bottoms of their feet. But where did these figures come from? Were they based on factual people? Like Norman Bates was based on a murderous psychotic from Wisconsin named Willem Dafoe. And why were we so late to enter the Santa game here in America? The only place to claim they were the first to do everything, while simultaneously insisting that all other variants that came before its version of something is wrong. And as an unbiased, bi-coastal resident of Mother Earth, as well as a lunchtime sidewalk petitioner for awareness of all her brilliant cultures and species, that is, the kind of petitioner that calls bullshit on your fake call when they point out the home screen illuminated on your phone, I wanted to get to the bottom of this Salvation Army spokesman con. Though I must say, those Santas do delight by playing my favorite Christmas melody. The one that goes, ding, ding... Ding, that's the best. So I set off north by way of heavy sedation. And it was during these cod and ambient fueled travels to Greenland that I spoke with a small Inuit tribe who showed me a pair of ice tablets dating back to 25,000 BC, which incidentally stands for before Christmas. See how much we're learning? The frozen slabs depicted the story of an alien from a distant planet in a galaxy way way the hell out there, in a system called the York Peppermint Patty. Well, that takes care of that. The alien's name was Atnos, and he came to Earth bearing gifts and snacks, not unlike Pirate Booty. The gifts he brought were neither practical nor fun, and were almost always the wrong color. Over the years, though, the story of Atnos was passed down through the- Oh my god, I just got it. Atnus is Santa spelled backwards. Wait, that means that shit was real? <laughs> to be perfectly honest, I thought I made the whole thing up after taking lorazepam with two shots of holiday pine sole and spending three days in the freezer case of Byright Creamery. <laughs> That's probably why the father of that Inuit family I stayed with kept going berserk each time I pointed at his wife and asked for a sample. Anyway, as I was saying, over the years, the story of Atnos was passed down through the different prehistoric stages depicted in a timeline I found online. And so survived the legacy of the peppermint alien, who was cool, but off-putting at first, but, you know, it was the only sugar in the house. 
as well as, and most importantly, his tradition of generous yet unnecessary offerings, best enjoyed untouched for four days in a stack next to the sofa. Oh, how strange these origins may all seem, even after being explained with silver-belled brilliance. I mean, after all, you wouldn't want to continue to do something simply because it's been going on for a while. Because that would be pretty foolish. Like in-flight magazines. Oh look, this month's issue of glossy viral infection. Hope it comes attached with a used tissue. And although we've only scratched the surface of our long-standing and greatly celebrated traditions, we can sit back this evening with a twinkle in our eye and take pride and comfort in the present-day forms of these most adored holiday customs. Now, I have heard some stories about a baby and an angel and three dudes who totally invited themselves over for what was supposed to be a private affair, but I can't seem to find a lot of documentation on that one, so I'll have to keep digging. production of Thaddeus Ellenberg's Casual Friday. Written and read by Thaddeus Ellenberg. With an introduction by Nicole Kalasich. And artwork by Adrian Lobel. This series is independently produced by Thaddeus Ellenberg and Will Scovel. To find more episodes and information, visit our website at casualfridaypodcast.org or email us at contact.casualfriday at gmail.com.